Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season eight, episode six. On the podcast today, we have John Brandon. John Brandon is a journalist and a prolific writer for publications you've definitely heard of, like Inc. Magazine, Forbes, Fox News, Christianity Today, and a ton more. So we're going to talk to him today about how he does all of that. Thank you so much to our sponsors for making this possible. We are partnering this month with Compassion Canada in a special project. So you can go to compassion.ca slash WMD to find out more. And we're going to tell you a little bit more later in this podcast. Thanks also to Scripture Untangled. This is a new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society, and they're a proud sponsor as well of this episode, bringing it into your ears and in front of you if you're on YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, uh, have you been to our YouTube channel lately? Have you subscribed to it so you don't miss what we're uploading? We have tons of content on there now, free tutorials, resources to help you with church communications and thinking around social media and how to schedule your life as a leader in church these days. So we hope those free resources are a help to you, a help to people in your world. And of course, we have a whole back catalog of the podcast now 7.5 seasons in. There's tons of content from people you're probably reading their work. You're probably thinking and listening to what they have to say. And we've probably interviewed a ton of the people uh, you're really influenced by right now on the podcast. So go back and check out that resource and that whole back catalog. Also, you can always find us in the Digital Church Facebook group. That's where we talk all week long, really, where people are asking questions, posting jobs, sharing resources, articles, ideas, interacting around as a leader in a digital world. uh, How do we do church? What does evangelism and discipleship look like for our practical realities in 2022? So come find us in the Facebook group. Links to all this stuff is in the show notes as always. All right, let me tell you a little bit about John Brandon. He became a productivity guru in the only way that matters by he cranked out a ton of work. He has written over 15,000 articles for major publications. And I'm going to list a partial list of his magazines and outlets, Inc.com, Forbes.com, Wired, Popular Mechanics, Entrepreneur, Tech Radar, Popular Science, Computer World, CIO.com. And then there's Fox News and the Chicago Tribune and Christianity Today. And the list goes on. It's a lot. And it's actually quite unusual for most columnists. So he is a columnist for Forbes and he covers innovation, tech, social media marketing, and productivity. For the last 10 years before starting at Forbes, he wrote a daily column for Inc.com. And so we're going to link down below to some of that if you want to check out more of his work. But let's dive into how does he do it in this conversation all about productivity with John Brandon. Welcome to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. John Brandon, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, well, as a, as a means of introduction, maybe we should start with uh, who are you? <laughs> uh, give us a little <laughs> synopsis of your context. Yeah, I have uh, been a journalist for about 20, a little over 20 years 
Uh, I started out in 2001. Before that, I was a corporate manager, director type uh, in the corporate world. So I have been amazingly productive as a journalist and author and writer for over 20 years. And uh, it was just uh, about a year and a half ago when I uh, decided to write a book about all that productivity that I've done over the last 20 years. Uh, I like to say it was about 15,000 articles. I don't have an exact number, but it's, uh, it's pretty intense. I, I used to write two or three articles per day sometimes or even wow. more. I think my record is, is up there around maybe eight or ten articles in one day. So quite productive for a long period of time. Wow. And I, I have it as 20 years and 18 million words that you've written. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't even know how you estimate how you go about. I mean, there is a way to do it, but how do you go about even calculating that? I mean, when you're at that level yeah. of prolific writing, 18 million yeah. words. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, again, again, this is a way to kind of what kind of writing are you doing? Because I would imagine some kind of writing can be done quicker than others. Like if you're writing an opinion piece versus a, uh, you know, a scientific research paper, these are very different kinds of work. So uh, what kinds of work are you doing or what kinds of publications are you writing for? Yeah. And just to tell you the story of how this all started, yeah. I, I was in the corporate world and I, I was uh, went through a corporate downsizing in 2001, a week after 9-11, so 9-18-2001. Wow. And I have a, a long history with marketing and communication, uh, technical background. So I just decided to take all of that experience of being in the corporate world and just start applying it to my writing. So I started out, uh, I used to review uh, routers, not the wood-making kind, but the Wi-Fi kind. And I did that <laughs> for a solid year, uh, just writing about routers and reviewing them. Made a pretty good living doing that for magazines. I don't know if you remember what magazines are. Uh, but <laughs> Those shiny <laughs> things that sit in people's yeah. bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the part of Barnes & Noble, the bookstore, that no one's ever standing around and, and no one's ever looking at magazines anymore, sadly. But I, I did a lot of online writing and I did some business writing. But my, re my career really took off in about 2004. I started writing for Fox News, and I did a week weekly column for foxnews.com. Huh. And that was typically about technology, like how to keep your kids safe online, or are video games bad for you or not? Um, I tend to think they're bad for you. So uh, <laughs> then, then I started to... Uh, get into more of the business writing field. So I started mm -hmm. writing a column for Inc. Magazine, a really well-known uh, business magazine. Yeah. And I did a column in print for three years. And then I, I, I started a column, and I did that for about seven years online. And uh, I wrote two or three columns per day. The total was around 4,000 columns during a 10-year period wow. uh, for Inc. Magazine. Um, and I currently write for Forbes. So that's my main uh, online column right now. Well, so. before we go into the productivity thing, because the, the conversation here on Word Made Digital is often in this realm of how digital has 
affected everything about sort of how we live our lives. I say it's not, not everything we do is digital, but it's the water that we swim in. Um, but you're literally talking about being a writer in this transition from uh, print to digital. So, you know, before we go into the productivity thing, I just love your take on that side of things uh, as a writer or as a professional in this industry. Um, say more about this, this idea of like the death of the magazine, or maybe you, if you want to go on a rant about video games, I'd love to hear more about that. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a view that I, I prefer magazines. I like to hold something in my hand. Maybe that's makes me a little old fashioned. But, you know, the digital realm tends to be, um, it's, it's a representation of something. It's bits and bytes. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy with the fact that when I first started out, online sites were not as common. You know, we didn't talk about uh, clickbait and lead generation and content marketing and all those terms that we know now. Uh, back then, it, was, it had to be published in a magazine that... Online still existed in 2001. It had barely started, but it just wasn't as common. Um, I actually remember the transition from Ink Magazine and print to becoming an online uh, portal. And I was part of that transition. I was even an editor for a while for Ink Magazine online. And then, uh, you know, most people would say that they're probably familiar with Forbes and Inc. and Popular Mechanics and some of these other outlets for what they do online more than what they do in print. Um, but I, I just, I have to say that, and we can talk about this later, but in terms of the world of distraction and clickbait and trying to get our attention, the attention economy, it's called. Uh, I prefer the, the good old days when it was just a magazine that you sat with on the couch and, and read. And I think there's something about that tangible, physical object that you're holding. It's the same reason that whenever I buy an ebook, um, I, I barely read it. But when I pay $40 to buy an actual book, I, I usually tend to read it. And it's a physical object that I'm consuming. And so that, that gets, into, gets into my philosophy of digital. Uh, I, I prefer physical objects and tangible things to the digital realm. Hmm. And, and John, when you talk about that as a philosophy, do you see others joining you? What I mean is, do you feel like you're alone in this or do you, so in many ways, digital is so new, but yet we're starting, I think in some pockets to see the rise of the, I mean, certainly social media is criticized. Uh, there's real concern about what Facebook or, you know, the the meta group of apps is doing to the brain or to especially to young people. Um, do you see, a, an, a, you know, in the industry, do you see a move where people are choosing to go back to print? Are people subscribing to printed yeah. things again? Or, or <laughs> what do you notice? What do you, yeah. you know, is there, a, is there a pendulum swing the other way? What are you noticing? Yeah. I, I would love to lead a, a revolution to go back to physical objects and tangible things in life. And, you know, I'm a big advocate of journaling. I, I have a seven-minute journaling routine in my book. And I, I just feel like when you're sitting there on a physical space 
and you have a physical journal with a th- this thing called a pen. I don't know if you've heard of that before. I've heard of an and Apple you- pencil, but tell me more about this <laughs> pen that you speak yeah. of. <laughs> yeah, it, it has ink in it, and you, you write on a piece of paper, a yeah. physical piece of paper. I, I have to say that when, when I talk about these things, people say, that's old-fashioned, you know, get with the program. You know, the digital age has been here for decades. And I just would like to say that, you know, Here's a quick example. This is one of my favorite stories. Uh, When I was playing video games with my son once, we were in the basement, and we had this game called Forza, and it allows you to go on a racetrack anywhere you want in the world, and it just seems so awesome, right? And we're sitting there playing the game, and I happen to test cars for a living as well. I've gotten a different car in every week uh, for the last 10 years. And I just happened to have a Corvette in the garage of my house. And we were in the game, and we were playing the game with a Corvette in the game. And I remember looking at my son and saying, why are we even doing this? Why are we playing this game when there's a real Corvette in the garage? Yeah. And so the two of us, uh, we went upstairs, and we got in the Corvette, and we drove it around for a couple of hours. And I just remember thinking... You know, in, not to spiritualize this too much, but things that are real and tangible and that you can hold in your hands, they tend to have a lot more value than something that's just pixels on a screen somewhere. And I guess if I were to say anything to the listeners today, it, it's, it's not old-fashioned to go back to the physical objects of the world. Uh, you know, are you, are you spending time with real people? Are you in the physical space that you're in? Are you experiencing whatever it is that God wants you to experience in the moment? Or are you living in a virtual world where everything is fleeting and superfluous and isn't going to last? It's ephemeral. And, uh, you know, those, those are the types of things that don't give you meaning and purpose in life. So, good. Go back to the basics, and and you will find a whole new level of fulfillment and joy in in the physical world. Mm. Well, I think that leads me into the conversation about, um, you know, routines in general, or maybe we habits, routines. Maybe in my mind, those are different things, but maybe for you, they are quite similar. Um, I'd love to talk about routines. You know, the world. you know, I'm I'm talking to you from a, a hotel room in Amsterdam. I'm uh, I'm completely out of routine. I'm in a random place. My schedule's off. My time zones are off. Um, and we're and but through the power of digital tech, we're we're talking to each other today. But um, I struggle finding routine, and yet I I think there's something in all of us that that knows like we give it to children because routine is good for children's mental health. Um, but talk to us about routine. Why do we need them? You know, the world is unpredictable. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> uh, is it even pra- is it even practical to think about doing routines anymore? I'd love to to dive into that a bit. Yeah. I I view routines as one of those things that allows us to focus on what really matters. So if you think of it like, you know, driving a car, you don't have to think about the routine of the gas pedal and the brake, hopefully, you know, unless you're just new to driving. Uh, But for someone like me, I never have to think about that routine. Um, I also tend to park in the same spot at the mall and I park at the same spot at work. And I think I do that because I just don't think those things matter that much. 
And so what I'm trying to do is set a habit and a routine. Another one is brushing your teeth. Like if we had to think about that every day, um, it just wouldn't really lead to a healthy lifestyle because we'd have to put too much brain power toward it. So if we can take things that are repeatable, like checking email or writing in a journal or doing social media, whatever it is, if somehow those things can become routine and controlled and measurable, then we have a whole bunch of other time where we can do things like building relationships with other people or maybe improving our relationship with God or, you know, reading the Bible in a way that isn't just, you know, really quick and fast. Uh, we can we can become much more uh, we can experience more depth in the physical realm of life and with relationships when we take some of these repeatable things that aren't really that important and make them more habitual as part of our lives. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about this research you've done because I know in writing Seven Minute Productivity Solution. Uh, you did some work on habits. What are some things about habits that are um, interesting to you or maybe some things that people may not know about how habits are par- are part of us? Yeah. yeah, and one of the things I would say about my book is that it was born out of my own experience of being distracted. And so one of the things that I've struggled with for years and years, ever since email was invented, is I get sucked into this time warp of checking email. And I don't know if people can relate to this, but you sit down and you think, okay, I'm just going to check email for a few minutes. Yeah. And then pretty soon it becomes a half an hour. And then there's, uh, I, did, I did see some studies on this. Uh, two different independent studies found that we spend as much as 30 hours per week in our work day, in our work week, uh, checking email. And I'm thinking, I don't know what we're doing for those other 10 hours, but uh, it must be really productive because the 30, <laughs> 30 hours, hours of email yeah. just seems like a lot to me. Yeah. You know? Well, it's sort of, um, um, So, so it, it becomes the like the hamster wheel. That's the image I have when you say 30 hours of email. It's just we're running on this thing that we'll, ne- we'll never get ahead of it. Um, there's always yeah. another email. Yeah, it's almost like a treadmill that's leading us nowhere, and it doesn't mean uh, we have purpose and meaning in it, but we feel like we're getting somewhere, right? We're going through the motions of running or doing uh, walking or exercising. Uh, you know, I just view some of these things. They're they're important. Email is important. It's not like I'm going to say, don't check email, don't go on social media, The reality is we do need these tools, and they are effective and important. My problem is that we overuse them. We spend way too much time on email, way too much time doom scrolling on Instagram. And then what I worry about sometimes is that if we're spending all this time in the digital space, and we're doing all these things that we think matter, like let's say Instagram, um, what are we missing out on? You know, what are all the things that we could be productive productive about in our lives and in our workplace? Um, and I don't even think we know. I, I think we're so distracted and so spending so much time with these apps that we're really missing out on the important things in life. This June, Word Made Digital is partnering with Compassion to build a sports and learning center for vulnerable youth living in poverty in Northern Thailand. I'm 
is generational in impact to build the sports and learning center. These kids have a lot of the same problems and concerns with digital addictions and all that kind of stuff like, like the kids you know have, but they have an even greater challenge because they live in poverty and they have food insecurity and they struggle to finish their education and find good employment and just come out of unstable home situations. And so it's an amazing opportunity to partner with this church. 40 people serving 400. We are trying to raise $4,000 in the month of June. Do you have $40 to give? I've given, I've given you know a little bit more, but whatever you can give, whether it's a lot or a little, if it's $10 or $500, we can partner with this church and encourage them as they share the best news in the world with these kids and youth and their families, not just as a one-off thing, but thinking about how to integrate into their lives to be part of the solution in the long term by not just um, something short-term that we can give to, which is also great, but to think of how we can make an impact over decades and generations by helping building this sports and learning center. So come join us, compassion.ca slash WMD, compassion.ca slash WMD. Of course, link will be in the show notes. It would mean so much uh, to me personally, but of course, also to this church community, if you would consider giving today. about you know when you're talking about routines and habits and then coupling that with things like these digital tools or the, what do you call the doom scroll on Instagram <laughs> um, you know I think uh, you know growing up a child is taught about you've talked about the routine of brushing your teeth there are these things you're taught and trained in whether at home or in school um, to kind of become like a fully functioning adult, you got to learn how to brush your teeth, you know? <laughs> um, right. but I, I think just in reflection, you know, I'm a millennial, so I'm coming up in this digital world. No one taught me how to do email or rather how to integrate it into my day week schedule. There, there was no, um, there was just no, uh, habit training on these things, like the mindless scrolling that everybody does. It's, it's sort of like the lowest common denominator because it's like, we've not that I, I blame an education system. I mean, it's constantly trying to keep up with technology that's constantly, you know, that's changing every year, but, but none of us have really been trained in it. And now we're all expected to know how to have a healthy relationship with it. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, Facebook does not tell you how to use Facebook. And there's a reason for that. Um, this is the definition I've heard of addiction and obsession is that it's something that you're pursuing that is never quite within reach. And so that's why you keep pursuing it. And that's really what Facebook has done. They don't do training videos on how to use Facebook effectively because it's designed to keep you using it. The more you use it, the more ads you see and the more money Facebook makes. So honestly, if there was a training session about email and Facebook and Instagram and all these other digital tools, we might start using them effectively and then they might not make as much money. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite things about Facebook that people don't even know is there, there's a way to save and mark posts in Facebook and read them later. You yes. know, it's a feature in Facebook. It's amazing how many people don't even know that that's available. They think mm -hmm. they have to keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Right. Um, but I guess I'm here to say there is a way to use these apps more effectively. 
And when you do, it frees up a ton of time for things that matter more in, in your life. Um, before we go into some of that practical stuff, there's this other thing that you'd describe. And I think this is from James Clear, the hyperactive hive mind, but you call it the hyperactive <laughs> hive mind of online obsession. Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. I love that. That's, that's, that's that phrase com- is an amazing mouthful. The hyperactive hive <laughs> mind of online obsession. Yeah. You know, a lot of the productivity experts talk about that. Cal Newport is another pretty famous guy. Yeah. And he talks about it. And then uh, it's, it's pretty common. James Clear has talked about it. What they're really talking about is that this always on mentality that you have to be aware of, you know, the latest news reports and the latest uh, Facebook changes and the settings that you need to do. And is your phone lasting long enough? You know, are you managing your battery properly? And what it means is that we have to be in a constant state of education, a constant state of awareness. And I just don't think God created us to be in that state, to be always on, always thinking, always taking in information. And what it's, what it's really created Uh, in society today is everyone is really stressed out because we always have to be thinking and processing. Um, We don't have enough downtime. We don't get away from these apps often enough. Um, So (laughs) you've, you as the 20 year, 18 million word writer have had to develop some habits and you, and you talk about how this shift particularly happened for you when you went full-time journalist, um, from your previous career. So, um, before we go into what those changes are and how other people can, I'd love to hear a little bit more of your own story with that. Like, why did you make the change? Were you forced? Were you failing as a journalist and you need, your butt was getting kicked every day. You know, you needed to like how, like usually we don't change until we have to. (laughs) So what caused the change for you? And, and so, and just so you know, the book came out of an Inc.com column called The Seven-Minute Morning Routine. And that particular article went viral in about 2015. 400,000 people read it. A lot of people started doing that routine. But that article came out of something that I did back in about 2001, 2002. I started writing in a journal every single day. And the reason I did that is because I had to. Um, The first six months that I was working as a journalist, I had four little kids at home. Uh, We were in a little bit of a panic as far as uh, house payment and even food. Uh, When I was downsized, it was was a pretty major event. I was making around $100,000 a year and led a team of 50 people. And I still remember to this day being walked to the door by my boss, and he's like, I'm really sorry we had to do this to you. Can I have your badge? And and that was the last time I ever saw him. Well, that first six months, I had to collect my thoughts. I had to stay on task. Because if I didn't, you know, little kids would not be fed, literally, type of right. thing. Right, wow. And, and so I started a, a morning journal. And here, here's the crazy thing about my book is that the reason why I picked that seven-minute time period is because I realized that's how long I was doing a morning journal. And then I also realized that's how long I was checking my email. When I was really effective at email, 
that's how long I would do it. And then I would go on to other things. I also found out my daughter, uh, she's actually a missionary in Austria, and she's now 32 years old. But when she was uh, helping me with some of the research and doing some of the editing for the book, she, re she said that, you know, Dad, I remember when you were writing, uh, you know, in those early days, you used to take a break and you used to come up and talk to us about school. And I feel like it was about seven minutes. And I'm mm. like, yeah, you're probably right. That's how long I took a break, about seven minutes. It turns out that time period is actually how long our brains can focus on something. It's called sustained attention span. And we can focus on something for seven minutes. They've done studies on this in the classroom. Uh, radio uh, talent and, and podcasters like yourself, you, you maybe even know this, that after seven minutes, you can start losing an audience, you know, and you need to take a break or a commercial. So I just discovered this organically, that that's how long, you know, it takes to do a seven-minute morning routine. That's how long it takes to check your email effectively. And then I decided to write a whole book about that. Okay, so we got to talk about the morning routine. Can you break it down for us, this seven-minute yeah. thing? Yeah. So if someone wanted to do this, I would say, first of all, you know, buy the book. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> yes. I mean that uh, facetiously. But that's where I document all of it. But just the rough idea, I recommend getting a kitchen timer very low tech. They sell them on Amazon for about five bucks. You just click a button and it counts down from seven minutes. But what you do is you have to prepare yourself for your time, your seven minute time. So you take a minute just to prepare. Um, in the routine, there's another minute where you just write down the things that you're thinking about for the day, not your tasks, not the things that you're going to accomplish for the day, but just what are you processing? What are you thinking about for the day? What's facing you? Um, you do that for a minute. There's something that I invented for the morning routine, and it's called hope moments. And those are the things that you're really looking forward to the most. Uh, you take a minute and you write down your hope moments. Uh, one example is when my youngest daughter got married. She did her morning routine and wrote down in a journal and uh, one day, it was uh, about a year ago, uh, she wrote down that her hope moment for that day was, I'm going to get married. Uh, so that was her hope moment for the day. Um, <laughs> so even, you mean, even another, on her wedding day, you're saying on her wedding day, she was doing the routine. Yes. Yeah, that's yep, awesome. Yep. Yeah. And once you get into the habit of doing a journal, you know, it just becomes part of what you do. It's part of who you are as a person. Um so that's for a minute, you write down your whole moments, and then there's another minute in the routine where you write down your stressors for the day, things that, you're, that are irritating you, that you're thinking about, that are like causing you to think negative thoughts. Um, from a science standpoint, negative thoughts are easier to think than positive thoughts. And I can explain why that is later if you want. But negative thoughts tend to rule in your brain. So you write those down for one minute and then you cross them off. You cross off all the stressors, that physical act with a physical pen and a physical You, mean you literally journal. put like, an, like a line through them. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Hmm. Put a line through those stressors and there's something about that act of saying, this isn't going to be what I think about today. This isn't going to rule my day. Uh, the hope moments and the things that I'm really looking forward to. Um, part of the routine is looking back at your journal and saying, 
here's what I'm going to review. You know, here's, here's the things that matter to me. Here's what I'm thinking about. Here's my hope moments. And then here's the stressors that I'm not going to be thinking about for the day. Um, and then there's just a wrap-up period. You know, honestly, it's meant to be really simple and easy. It's not supposed to be rocket science because most of us are, aren't rocket scientists. Uh, <laughs> it's meant to be something that you can do every single day. And it's no big deal, but it sets the tone of you're going to be more habitual and routine in your thought process. And then uh, maybe you'll be that habitual and routine about all the other things that you're facing for the day. Pausing this podcast to say if you like podcasts, you've got to check out Scripture Untangled. It's a new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society. We know that the Bible can feel overwhelming or confusing, even hard to believe. But Scripture Untangled brings you interviews with culture leaders, leaders in ministry, and Bible thinkers to inspire you to dive into the Bible and understand it. Season one is bringing you influential voices from across Canada and beyond. They're sharing both the impact of Scripture in their own lives, which is an amazing testimony, but also how they honestly have wrestled with big and important questions of faith in Christ and the contents of Scripture. So join us on this journey as we untangle Scripture together. Subscribe and share today. Scripture Untangled. this not as just like a mindfulness exercise, but but what's the connection, I guess, to productivity? Because you're not making a to-do list. Um, why is this a productivity solution? Yep, that's a great question. And I'm glad you brought up the word mindfulness because I actually don't like that word very much. And I can <laughs> okay. explain why. Yeah. Uh, but the reason why, uh, so spending seven minutes doing something with intention it teaches you to pay attention to the time. It teaches you how to be a good time management person. And then what happens is, so you spend that seven minutes in your morning routine, and then in other areas of life, you become much more intentional as well. I will say that when I forget to do that morning routine, and, and, and there's other things that I do during the day, like I have a seven-minute break that I take every day, sometimes multiple times per day. But the one that really it really hinges on is that morning routine. When I don't do that, my day doesn't go the same way. Uh, I tend to get you know too distracted, and I'm not really paying attention to time as much. Um, another really interesting thing about my morning routine is I always start with my devotional time, and that's oh, right that when before. I wake up in the morning. You do that. I do before my devotional this time first. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's because, uh, well, I have to say the first thing is coffee. So I start with coffee. Uh, and then I do my devotions. And that devotional time, I don't time that. I spend time with God. God is above time. He's not restricted by time. So I, I can spend 45 minutes, uh, usually with a version Bible app, and I'll, I'll play it, uh, the audio version of that. But I'll spend a half an hour, 45 minutes doing that. And that's just time with God. Uh, and then when I'm done with that, when I'm ready to start my work day, before I do any work, I always do a seven-minute morning routine. Uh, and that just sets the tone of productivity for the rest of the day. Hmm. Um, and mindfulness, that you, you said you were going to say more <laughs> about why you don't like the word. 
Yeah, I just have this view of mindfulness. What people really mean is that, um, you know, I'm going to be maybe reflect on things, but there's this sort of a, I would call it a new age mentality. Sometimes you've probably heard this before, but uh, when when we talk about things like I'm going to clear my mind, what yeah. I think that does is it actually opens us up to, um, you know, negative thoughts and maybe things that are destructive. I, I view the term mindfulness and clearing your mind is actually a little more dangerous because I don't think it teaches us to ward off uh, distraction. I think it opens us up to attacks or, you know, negative thoughts or spiraling downward into things. Um, the whole field of mindfulness, I don't think they've provided very good tools of productivity. They've just told us, just sit in the corner and, and think about good thoughts, you know, or, or, you know, clear your mind. Or And, and I also tend to, think, I, I tend to think of it as something that's more of a religion. Um, and, and so I, I just don't really subscribe to the whole mindfulness uh, thought pattern. Well, and you talked. You you also alluded to this idea that negative thoughts are easier or more natural to us than positive. Can you say more about that? Right. Yeah, and and I guess I should just say one other thing about mindfulness is that it it isn't effective against distraction because distractions are getting worse, and so what's happening is that we're you know there's more and more apps, there's more shows on Netflix. There's more things to play, you know, video games on our phone and Xbox. And so mindfulness is not an effective tool to ward off those distractions. Um, in terms of the negative thoughts, so I'm going to do a little brain science with you right now. Uh, and, and so I apologize in advance for that. <laughs> but uh, the, way, the way things work in our brain, and I don't claim to be a brain scientist. I've just studied this a lot over the last, you know, 20 years or so. But in your brain, there's something called dopamine. And when dopamine is a reward system in your brain, when you experience something positive, you get just a little bit of dopamine. And that's a good thing unless, uh, you know, it turns into a bad thing if your good thing is that you finished writing an email or you effectively scrolled through Instagram for an hour, you get a dopamine hit. You also get a dopamine hit in your brain when you finish a marathon. So back to our earlier conversation about the physical realm versus the digital, the physical realm is much more valid in terms of that dopamine. Um, but that, that dopamine is not very prevalent in your brain. There's something called cortisol that's more prevalent in your brain. That's where it gets into the flight or fight mechanism in your brain. And we're always in a defensive posture, like is someone going to attack me or run into me on the road and how am I going to react? It's that old thing about a hot stove. We seem to be wired as humans to be well aware of the hot stove and what should we should do about that when we touch it. We should flinch back, right? Um, and so scientists have been saying this for a long time, that negative thoughts flow more freely in your brain because we just seem to be wired for that flight or fight mechanism and then we have to actually work harder uh, to experience happiness and to experience joy. Um, this gets into my views as a Christian that, you know, sometimes we have to choose joy. We have to choose happiness because that we have to work harder at that. 
And then if we just give in to depression and anger and negative thoughts, that's easier in a way that's more human. And so uh, if anyone's listening to this and they fight with these topics and they feel like, you know, there's depression or anger going on in your life, sometimes you just have to choose to be joyful and choose to be happy because your brain is fighting against you and it's trying to get you to think negative thoughts but you have to work harder to avoid that. When we, um, yeah, when we talk about this, this idea of sustained attention spans, as you've said, uh, there's more against us now than ever. Um, do you feel that? Do you feel that in your reader, you know, the publications you're working with, I'm thinking about like, do you have pressure from, I don't know, whoever is your editor, uh, has it changed how you're writing or changed the kinds of articles people are reading and sharing? It, it's changed the field of journalism quite a bit because there's this idea that, you know, we could talk about a, a very timely topic, the slap. You know, I'm sure you know about the slap. This is the uh, the Will Smith slap at the Oscars at the time of yeah. our recording here. Yeah. So, so there's this... <laughs> Yeah. This pressure, uh, it doesn't come from my editors, actually. Um, I'm at the stage of my career where I tend to pick my own topics. I write my own columns. I'm very autonomous in that regard. And I have been for a really long time, for about 10, 10 or 12 years now. Um, but there's a pressure from the readership and from, you know, is the article going to be uh, successful? Is it going to get traffic? So... Uh, if I'm thinking about what am I going to write about today, I have to cut through all of that distraction and all that noise. And if I write about something like the slap, then I'm going to get coming to cut through that noise more effectively and more people are going to read the article. But the question is, should I even bother writing about that? Because honestly, everyone else is too. Um, I, I prefer to write about things like mentoring or speaking into the lives of others or effective servant leadership. Those are topics that I'd love to do more of a deep dive on. And I have in my Forbes column, I've written about those things many times. But you have to resist this idea. And once again, it's because it's negative. You know, that slap, that was a negative thing. And our brains are wired to be attracted and drawn to those things. When we say clickbait, you know, the classic example of clickbait is read this article and you won't die. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the most effective yeah. clickbait yeah. headline ever. Yeah. Um, but uh, if I write about, you know, how to be a better servant leader or how to mentor other people, it might not get the same traffic, but it certainly has more depth. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think it's that tension of anyone who's a communicator and there's lots of those listening to this podcast. Um, you know, even Jesus, you know, you know, when is he, when is he addressing an issue of the day, you know, talking about something specifically, whether that's because someone asked a question or because it's, you know, a trendy thing that people are concerned about, or when are we talking about more timeless or, uh, maybe not even just timeless, but just things that we are personally compelled to to do our work about. Um, you know, and I think, you know, the 
the, you know, how many pastors are going to feel the pressure to mend, as you say, the slap, you know, because it's the week that it's happened in the news. Um, you know, how many people are going to, how many pastors are feeling the pressure of alluding to it or mentioning it in their sermons, you know, posting a comment online. I see so many, you know, Christian leaders um, on social media who say, okay, we got to talk about this. I'm like, I, and then I just immediately think, do we, do we have to talk about it? Um, do we have to have our voice in everything that is happening in the world? Yeah. And, and so the irony with this that I have to say is I probably will write about it mm-hmm. and I'll send you the link and maybe you can include it. With yeah, this that'd podcast. be great. I'd love to see. But, but, the, re- but the angle that I'm going to take is why are we so obsessed with the slap? Like, why are so many social media users talking about this? And again, it's because we're trying to cut through the distraction. Um, C.S. Lewis said there will only be noise in hell. And I think we're almost living in this age where all there is is noise and all there is is social media and tweets and Instagram posts. And how could we ever keep up with any of that? Um, For anyone listening to this, if, if you're addicted to these apps and you're just constantly doom scrolling, Here's my tip for you for the day. Uh, try, uh, take your phone, and next time you're in the car and you arrive drive at your over, destination. Drive over the phone. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, put your phone in the trunk of your car. That's that's my tip for the day. And, and close the trunk and walk away and just don't use the phone and just see how that goes for a few hours. Um, honestly, people... Uh, you know, a hundred years ago, they, they didn't have cell phones and they got along just fine. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think my, my last question, I guess, for you here is, you know, (laughs) you know, why does, and in some ways it's a rhetorical question, but I'd love to hear from you. Why does this matter? Or maybe another way of putting that is what is at stake here? Like that you, why does this productivity conversation matter to you or matter to all of us? Yeah, great question. And I, I feel like the um, the right answer to that question is, you know, some people would say we want to be productive so that we can accomplish more, right? So that we can become better people or we can build bigger companies. I actually have achieved a lot of success in my career as a columnist and writer Um, I added up the total audience once of my articles, and I arrived at about 60 million people have read my columns over the last 20 years. But I'm going to surprise you a little bit and say that I think the main reason to be productive at work is that so so that we can invest in other things that matter even more than work. So that's why I wrote the book. That's why I think we should do, you know, do a morning routine for seven minutes, do an email routine for seven minutes, uh, a social media routine for seven minutes. Not because I want people to be more effective at email and social media, but because I think there's other things that we can spend our time on. You know, maybe we can be better husbands and and wives. Maybe we can be better dads and, and moms. Um, that's really what matters. Uh, I, I think if we can live with more purpose, live as Christians in a way where we are speaking into the lives of other people more often instead of using our phones so much, you know, go ahead and be productive at work. 
get everything done, do a great job, you know, live with purpose when you're at work, but then just set it all aside and do things that matter more. Because productivity at the end of the day is really about being more effective at work. And then that allows you to be more effective as a human being. Yeah. John, I love it. I feel um, encouraged and challenged by your thinking on these topics. Where do you want to send people today on the internet <laughs> uh, to find your book, yeah. to find your work? Yeah. Um, you know, how, how, what should we link yeah. to people to? Yeah, after all this discussion about avoiding the digital temptation <laughs> and uh, the distractions, yeah, uh, yeah, it's 7minutesolution.com is my website. Uh, please go try to find a bookstore, though, where there's a physical book that you can hold in your hands. That's, that's my favorite thing to do. Uh, Barnes & Noble carries the book. Uh, but yeah, 7minutesolution.com is where you can connect with me. Okay. Uh John, thank you so much. Great to have you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to John Brandon for that interesting conversation. Next week on the podcast, we're talking YouTube with someone who manages YouTube influencers for a living. This is my friend, Tyler Wells. Thank you so much to our sponsors, to Compassion Canada and this amazing June partnership we're doing. Go to compassion.ca slash WMD to contribute. We'd love for you to partner with this local church in Thailand with us. And also Scripture Untangled, the new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society. Go check it out. Go find more on our YouTube channel for tutorials, a back catalog podcast, and more. We'll see you in the Digital Church Facebook group this week. All the links are down in the show notes. And see you next week with my friend, Tyler Wells, talking all thing managing YouTubers. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.